Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. There are no survivors. There are no survivors. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe we dabble in history, stress, the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every damn week. It's a Pirate Safe Space where we break down each and every film in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise one blimey minute at a time. I am Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Arsh from blackpearlshow.com. Thanks for joining us today for episode 118 of season 2 as we choke on minutes 136 and 137 of Dead Man's Chest. It's in honor of Captain Sparrow and the Kraken. Choke him down. Choke him, I say. (laughs) Especially that sword out. Exactly. (laughs) You don't want to choke on the sword. (laughs) 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 Thanks for setting me up on the euphemism. Sure. Right out of the gate. But I had a delay there, so obviously yeah, I wasn't you, it quite did, on yeah, the ball. No, that's because I'm drinking iced tea today, and it's not a long it's a island iced tea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My body's rejecting water because that to me is water. It's not water. It is. It's it made is up not. of water. It's made with water. I don't know when the last time I drank actual water is. Then it's a kind Can of a, somebody please tell him iced tea is not actual water. <sighs> Seems like it is. No. It's liquidy. Looks like the color of water drawn from a well in the 17 Looks and like 1800s. dirty water? Yeah. That would be drawn from wells in the <laughs> in the day. I've had iced tea that tastes like dirty water. Well, this one's pretty good. But of course I made it. Well, it's fresh. I made it yesterday. I made it. No. I can say that as far as the news goes, it's pretty much a dead calm. Pirates of the Caribbean news, that is. Well, that's, that is... Yeah, I didn't think that that was pretty news. surprising. Actually, there was a tidbit from the Daily Mail, which is actually a reputable news site. I mean, it's not like honk news that I was telling, <laughs> showing you the other day, you know, or the hundred others that have been thrown out clickbait about Pirates of the Caribbean 6. This was actually the Daily Mail. Honk news. Honk news. That was, I had to, I, I showed Heather just so she knew I didn't make that one up. But they actually had a quote from Rigetti himself, Lee Ehrenberg, yeah, who says the sixth movie is definitely being discussed. And this was just like a day ago, so this is recent. According to the Daily Mail, the 57-year-old has not been involved in the franchise since 2007's At World's End, obviously. But he suggests a new film is on the horizon. They're definitely talking about it. And here's the quote. Actually, I already started the quote, but this is a quote, so you know what it's coming from. (laughs) Otherwise, it's just all hell breaking loose and you think I'm just saying stuff. But he says, that's probably better. They're definitely talking about it as far as I know. A six pirates. So there you go. 
Now we will just like have to sit back and wait for a movie, Disney Plus series or film or maybe both, whatever it is. But he said they're definitely talking about it in reference to Pirates of the Caribbean 6. I said it was a tidbit. I didn't say that all news gods woke up and the sky uh, virus parted and sunshine God, down I on. I wish this virus would part. I'm sure everybody does. Because then we can get on to real stuff like pirates. But anyways, that's what's going on. And I don't really want to dwell on the limited info as opposed to something much more captivating. Much more captivating as of right now. And that can only mean Pirate Word of the Week. Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in 5, 4, 3, 2, yar. The captain goes down with the ship. Oh, you brought something like that, did you? I did. Okay. I did. Because I found it interesting. It is interesting. So I decided to look into it a little bit. I actually looked into it, not just give you a... So it's not really a pirate word. We're doing like history already? Not even priming the pump for that. You're just diving right into yeah. it. Okay, go for it. Yeah. I was having problems with the pirate words. So we decided this is very fitting. We decided? What are you, like Gollum? Yeah. <laughs> My precious. We? Because I wasn't part of any of that conversation. So I just want to know what's going on over Why? there. Why? I don't know. So I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to find a pirate who actually had gone down with a ship, much like Jack did here, kind of. Yeah. And could not find a pirate. I think that it's pretty sparse on that. I, on pirates. On pirates. Okay. I mean, there's... Okay, go. I'll let you go and then I'll I'll throw in some stuff. What? Nothing. Go for it. So it is... Uh, Maritime tradition that a sea captain holds ultimate responsibility for both his ship and everyone embarked on it. Yeah, okay? I agree with that. And that in an emergency, he will either save them or die trying. Yeah. So it's not, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so it's not that it's like a law or a tradition that he just purposely goes down with the ship. The idea is... That he is supposed to be the last one to make sure everybody is ushered off, everybody is safe as much as possible before he gets off. That's why he would typically be the last person on the ship to come off or die trying or not be able to make it off. And that's kind of the gist of the captain goes down with the ship. Yes. But it's not like it's a rule that they have to do that. It is... Tradition. Tradition, but a tradition is not a rule. And there is, I think, some laws that state that they have to make sure that people are safe and that they're taken care of. In maritime law, the ship ship's master responsibility for his vessel is paramount no matter what its condition. So abandoning a ship has legal consequences. That's including correct. the nature of salvage rights. That's right. That's where I was gonna go. Because Part of it is if they abandon the ship, say, too early and it's not going down or whatever, if they leave the ship, then that basically opens the door for somebody to salvage that or claim the ship is salvaged. Right. If a captain abandons his ship in distress, he is generally generally responsible for it in, in his absence and would be compelled to return to the ship until danger to the vessel has relented. Yeah, but that doesn't still mean... That they all go down with the ship like you see in cartoons when you're a kid and then even in some movies or like when they comment here that the captain goes down with the ship. 
that's not necessarily the case. It's not intended that they would go down with the ship. Okay, save the Titanic or something like that, where, uh, as I recall, that Edward that Jade guy, Smith. Yeah, that guy went down. He with actually the ship. went down with the ship. But that's not normal practice, though. And from what I just seen and read before, is that this idea of which maybe started in the 1700s and some things I've seen with like Admiral Bing it was or something where that there's been some battles and he actually goes back to repair his ship. He kind of leaves everybody hanging and he gets busted by the say British Royal Navy or whatever the hell it was at the time saying, and then he ended up getting shot. So there's this whole idea of abandoning kind of your post, abandoning your duty, its reputation. And so there's thought that the captain goes down with the ship that I remember reading at some points is that there it might be better to die on the ship than to have to go back and face court martial being hung, shot, uh, your family reputation has been destroyed. Yeah. And so this is kind of like the yeah. honorable way to go is if you see that something really is is crazy bad happening. But then other stuff that I've read and then stuff that kind of moved even forward in time. And so this Captain Bing or whatever the heck his name was, is like in the 1750s. But as time moved forward, there was kind of the idea that military didn't want to sacrifice their captains. It took a lot of training and to oh, have yeah. good people at, at that position. So if it's not something that was completely your fault or your ship was attacked or whatever, they'd rather have captains and, and officers come off so they didn't have to bring new people on and train them. And so it was easier to build a ship in a couple of months when there was like wartime efforts and stuff that they could churn this stuff out than it was to actually lose a, a good captain. Hmm. I actually read something, it was in history, part that it, the tradition came out of women and children first. Oh yeah, I remember something about that as well. So that whole women and children first. And that's it's the, the same honor type thing. of yeah, because same type of thing that goes on a ship. Ever all your everybody on the ship off before the captain. That's right. You know, I don't, yeah. And I don't remember what years were those. Were probably 18th or ni- early 19th century type or 18th or 19th century kind of rules that women and children were first. 19th century. 19th century. So and yes. then that would yeah, and then that just kind of played out. And that's stuff that obviously you see in Titanic and the movie and glorified and yeah. that kind of stuff and heard about. But yeah, okay. So that's what else my, you got? That's my... That's Captain goes down with the ship? Uh-huh. So in this particular movie, even though we're kind of starting on it without actually starting the podcast for this kind of stuff. So when he says that the captain always goes down with the ship is not necessarily true. That's more myth and storytelling and kind of the legends of captains being these stoic people that would go down with their ship um, when when that's said in this particular I mean, it, it's, it's happened a lot, but... Um, but hey, not pirates necessarily. No, I could, not, I could there, not find any pirates at pirates all. Pirates out there for themselves. The, the, the honor and piracy kind of thing. Well, the That's, most... Come on. You know, I kind of... I searched anything I possibly could think of around, you know, killed trying battle, to see pirate uh, pirate captains going down with a ship. But I see killed in battle or um, arrested and yeah, exactly. hung and, you know, all this kind of stuff, but never, or just retired, but never actually a pirate captain going down with a ship. Making a physical, because, yeah, it's a free-for-all to yeah. some extent. Yeah. I mean, it may have happened, but there was yeah. no record okay. that I could find of it. There we but go. as far as regular ships, you know, um, notable examples, the Wikip- Wikipedia 
the first one they have on here, September 27th, 1854. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. It's not like a bunch of this goes back a long ways. It's not historical stuff happening here. No. Not the last necessarily. one is 2015, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens. Okay. So. Pirate Naval Word of the Week. Legend of the Week. There we go. History. <laughs> Something like that. In the previous minutes, and in no particular order, Captain Jack Sparrow takes out his sword, oils up, plunges toward the wow. gaping Kraken's mouth, and ends up fully covered in slime. That's my breakdown for the last two minutes. Minute 136 begins with Jack disappearing into the mouth of the Kraken. As the escaping longboat crew look on, the Black Pearl is engulfed in tentacles as the sea beast draws the vessel downward. Minute 137 ends with Lord Cutler Beckett. Ah, Beckett's back. Motioning for a tattered Norrington to approach. Having looked at the letters of Mark with Norrington already filled in his name, Beckett says, if you intend to claim these, then you must have something to trade. If I recall correctly, last time we met Beckett, we didn't care much for him. I think I was calling him stodgy or something like that, but I don't know. I had to, I had to soak it's been back. over a year ago. Yeah, that it has too. I have to get back into the Beckett feel. I got some stuff on Beckett coming up. But I, I think I brought up Star Trek recently, right? Star Trek 2. I think I was talking something about the good of the many, Spock dying. Remember? Does that ring a bell? Or is that just me talking in my own head? I no, thought we talked you were about talking about show. Spock. But you okay. also said something about your evil Spock and... No, that was because of the virus and I've been secluded in the house and I haven't shaved. And then I said I was going to do the kind of the evil Spock. But then you said it was too much work. Then it was too much work I had to deal with, so I just shaved it all <laughs> off. So no evil Spock here. But I completely forgot that we actually get an obvious and classic Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan reference in this these minutes here. You know the one. It's even parodied on Seinfeld, where Kirk looks up screaming, Khan! Right? <laughs> yeah. Davy Jones does the exact same <laughs> oh, thing Jack. here. Not with Khan's name, obviously, because that would be really weird. That would be. Be like, what the hell is he mentioning Khan for? <laughs> King Kong? Khan, <laughs> <laughs> not Kong. Oh. <laughs> That's a whole new thing. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Kong. That's a whole different <laughs> ball game. That is an entirely different movie. That's a whole different premise, too. <laughs> it's, it's a kaiju film, man. You know, Godzilla kaiju. Not the, the one we watched monsters. the other day. What do you mean? Oh, that's King Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Or it wasn't like a kaiju film. It's a kaiju. Is it's it? considered a kaiju. Kaiju is kind of like the big the big monster. Oh. And it's in the same universe. So kaiju movie it is. How dare you? Really? You're going there with them? Yeah. Can't believe that. Anyways, it is true. And I happen to be a, a member of the esteemed kaiju group. And so I would know these things. Really? Yeah, I am. But... <laughs> Put aside the weirdness of Star Trek to the wrath of King Kong. Yeah, the it's weirdness her. of being a member of the kaiju. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> <Walked the laughs> <plane>. Weirdness. <laughs> it's things Godzilla. I've been a longtime fan of Godzilla. I can't even believe you went there. Anyways, we were talking about Davy Jones yelling out Sparrow's name, not Kong or Khan, <laughs> as he looks kind of uh, to the sky and, you know, kind of a top down shot. Right? Yes. And of course, if you can guess, it's a freaking movie trope. Yeah. It's called the Skyward Scream. That's Offici- as we're panning away from the ship, right? Yeah. And, and you see screaming. him yelling. Yeah. Because yeah. it's officially where the camera is placed directly above the actor 
It's pointing down while the actor looks up into the camera or at the sky overhead. And then he makes this kind of ear-piercingly elongated and somewhat blood-curdling scream. Almost like a bloody murder type anger scream. Star Trek II is the most prominent example, but Dead Man's Chest isn't bad. Now, one site calls out this like twist on the con reference to be in like this trope that it's really close up of Kirk's face cutting to a long shot of the planet. So you don't really get like the the pull away or the long shot of the actor himself. Hmm. But this website, yeah, maybe it looked legit, but I have to argue it's the same damn thing. It's a take on the Was same Was it hotdog.com? Not hotdog.com. Hot <laughs> hey, nobody go to hotdog.com. I don't know what the hell's going to go on there. And B, I want to know what you're doing on hotdog.com. <laughs> what did you say earlier? What, what was the website? Hot Honk hot, News. Uh, honk News. <laughs> Can't remember. So hotdog.com. <laughs> this must be a Long Island iced tea. Why well, is just water? <laughs> oh, man. I, you're in rare form tonight. What is going on? It's late again. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even know where I was at besides like they were trying to say that this. It wasn't the it same, wasn't but it the was. It wasn't the same thing, but I think it's the same thing. Being yeah. that it has like the same points and that they actually named this trope the con at one point, hmm. which is evidence enough for me. Like con man? Con? Con. K-A-H-N. I'm just kidding. Con. I'm just giving you a hard time. We're going to be watching some old Star Trek get you going on that. The 2009 Star I Trek movie. I like that movie. It's a good one. It is a good one. It's the best. Is it, you probably like, is it the best? You, I'm guarantee you like no, number four better. Oh, Patrick Stewart isn't you don't, in it. You, I thought you would like the one with the whales. Star Trek. Oh, 4, I like the, the one oh, with I the whales. I thought so. Yeah. Anyway, like this the is Patrick the, Stewart one. This isn't the Star Trek podcast. It's the Patrick what you, Stewart one. There's Star Trek: a The Next actually. Generation. There's a bunch of movies. What are you doing here? Yeah, I like those. The 2009. I think I was saying that there's also a Spock in. One of the Star Trek ones, the newer ones. Star Trek 2009, the, the reboot. Isn't it in Big Bang Theory, too? I'm sure that they did a con or something in that, too. It's in Seinfeld. We already said that. There's also, can't forget Stella from A Streetcar Named Desire. That was Stella. another one. And that's even better because we already referenced Seinfeld, and Elaine does a really good Stella. What about the Rocky movie? Isn't it Rocky? No. Rocky doesn't do that. There's Freedom in Braveheart. Freedom! Now... Actually, the best use of this line of freedom, freedom, is in that video of the voice-controlled elevator from the Scotland like comedy <laughs> troupe. Where they're... <laughs> I mean, I really love that elevator video. It's that whole thing. It Basically, if you haven't seen it after, you got to look it up. It's, as soon as we're done, I'm going to actually have to go watch this thing again. Because you can't have, is the premise of this thing, these two Scottish guys, you can't have voice recognition technology in Scotland as they're trying to 11... Trying to get up to the 11th floor. And the elevator just doesn't understand. They get Say it like it. you're American. Yeah. And then basically, what are, what are we doing? Where, where, where are we going today? Yeah, I don't know. Say it. No. He's, and then he says it like he's British. And we don't want to ruin it if people haven't seen it. But basically he says, what part of Britain are you from? The same place where Dick Van Dyke is from. So, <laughs> so It's classic. It is really classic. Okay. And the last one I'm going to mention, because we already talked some Star Wars and Star Trek stuff, is... Uh, Star Trek, Star Wars Episode Three, when Vader yells "No!" Mm. So there you go. You know, Davy Jones, um, while he's speaking during these little minute, little minute, I don't know, 
He spits a lot. He does spit a lot. He's like up chucking wa- seawater <laughs> right? there. Yeah. All over the place. I think he's like gurgling. <laughs> it's like, you got to clear your throat there, buddy. It's like, stay away, coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy needs some social distancing. <laughs> he needs to wear multiple masks. That guy, yeah, he needs, a, he needs some kind of suit on. Yeah, that guy's definitely uh, spreading the germs there. And I'm glad to see we're actually getting back to pirate stuff, though. <laughs> after however long we've been talking on here so far. But I almost forgot, though, um, that kind of with this whole Dead Man's Chest thing and as much as talking about Davy Jones and his screaming and sky screams and all that kind of stuff. But what sets this apart, though, from the trope, kind of all these other sky scream trope members, packs, uh, movies that do this thing, Dead Man's Chest, it has like a great buildup to it. And I don't... So I don't think it's on par with the anger that can be matched by William Shatner's face in Star Trek II. Definitely not. I think something that Kirk had there is really great. You'll have to watch again. He, he's really good at that. Yeah, but, but Davy Jones' face here? No, but I think the buildup to Davy oh. Jones doing this is better than anything else. Okay. Because you got the tentacles. So when he opens the chest to find his heart is missing, before anything else, like the tentacles start squirming. I mean, his tentacles gone wild all of a sudden. Well, it's wait, that's perfect, Davy. It Jones. started before they even opened the chest. When the thought came to his mind, when the when Macus Macus says, "Turns out that even Jack Sparrow can't best the devil." Yeah. Then it turns something in Davy Jones' brain, and he goes, "Wait a minute." You know, and at that point, you could watch his watch his face at that point, and that's when it started. No, but the, you got to, again, you got to break down the details here. It's analyze and scrutinize. Now, if you really look at the, the stillness of the tentacles when he's unlocking that chest to when he opens it, before he says anything, the anger builds up and those tentacles are squirming. His beard is moving. That's what I'm saying. So it's like... It wants that key back. <laughs> to hold on to it? Yeah. Maybe. It's used to holding on to that key. But he is. Maybe that's why he wants to, has that like drive to see his heart. Is that he gets like, this, Maccus is like, he can't believe he bested the devil kind of thing. And Davy Jones is, maybe that's why he's like, oh my God, did he really, wait, do I even have this heart here still? So maybe that triggered something. Because I was wondering, what drove him to want to see the heart? And I would have thought almost he could sense his heart. Like... I got a weird feeling my heart ain't here. Right? Yet but he can't feel it because it's, it's not there. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking that he should be able to sense its presence, maybe. He can't because he doesn't have the heart to sense it. But that's the thing. Because I think we talked about some of this stuff earlier. And it's been a long he time. He can feel the ship. But he can't feel his heart because he's been separated from his heart for so long. Well, that's possible. That he can't feel it anymore. And the... Yeah, anyway, can't go there. His heart was, okay, we have to go here a little bit. So his heart was removed by Davy Jones himself, right? Yes, he pulled it out. He ripped it out. From his own chest after he betrayed like the sea goddess Calypso, that kind of stuff. Who had forsaken him prior to betrayal and all that kind of fun stuff. So he carves out his heart with the premise of no longer kind of to feel the grief and the guilt, right? Yeah. And what he had done, he doesn't want to feel love again and all that kind of stuff, right? Yes, it was love. Because of the pain. Yes. So Davy Jones... Then locks his heart in Dead Man's chest, okay, buries it on Isla Crucis, hiding it from the world. That's what we've seen. Yes. But at He he didn't keep it on his ship. 
because he was afraid of marauder, marauders. 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 Thank you. I couldn't say marauders. that word. Marauders. What the hell are you doing over there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't come out right. That's some kind of allegory you got going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm never going to let that So one that's down. why he didn't keep it on the ship. He was afraid somebody's going to steal it off the ship. So that's why he hid it on the island and kept the key with him. But that's that's my this is my point. He ditched the heart for the feelings of pain and love, right? Mm-hmm. But it seems to me... This whole time, he still is feeling the pain. The agony of lost yeah. love. I mean, come on. When he's playing the organ, oh, yeah. it's there. It he didn't, didn't do anything. Yeah. This is like some kind of symbolic gesture for himself. And I'm thinking that something like, okay, it's something we can definitely attack in At World's End. But if this is really the case, then I come back to wondering, how does he not sense or feel where his heart really is? At least it's close by or far away. I'm not saying he has to know exactly. But... Clearly, he's not ditched all his feelings. This is just no. a symbol of him trying to get rid yeah. of that, but it hasn't really done that. And it's a reason for him to act the way he does. That's I true. don't have a heart, so I can act that way. But really, that's just him. I agree with that. I would have liked to have seen some deeper connection to his heart, though. Something that, like... So I draw- can feel it, yeah. Well, draws the connectivity and, and the idea that you can't really get rid of the pain, which is largely driving this guy's character anyways. Yeah. But then again... Maybe that's why he wants to see the heart, too. Maybe he does sense something is a bit off when Maccus says something. So I don't know. Then, of course, there's this kind of like overarching moral, not just in Dead Man's Chest or Star Trek II since we mentioned it. Khan actually says this in Star Trek II film. And then from a nautical kind of perspective, it's shared in Moby Dick. But it's the idea that revenge is this kind of self-destructive course that will not only be your end, but end kind of... Everything about you, it'll end everybody. Everything you care about is kind of the basis of revenge. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Yeah. that That's kind of some of the overarching stuff that I'm Go back to that. him feeling his chest or his his heart. <laughs> his <laughs> He's just chest, rubbing his, his chest. <laughs> Maccus is sitting there going, what the hell is Davey doing again? But there was so much um, action before this conversation between Maccus and him. There was so much going on before that. And now he doesn't have to worry about Jack Sparrow being out there anymore. He's now being taken by the Kraken. Now he can settle down, right? And maybe he did also knowing Jack's a trickster and now Jack is. But maybe he also did sense that the heart wasn't there because everything's calmed down now. Now he can really feel things going well, on around him. Whereas before there was so much going on, he couldn't feel things around him. Now he could feel things around him. I can buy that argument. Yeah. That that's possible. It's like a, kind of the, the vibrations. Thing, the, you know? Yeah, all of that is now he's actually able to sense the other stuff because yeah. his main focus is gone. Because if you hurt yourself, your adrenaline's going, you don't feel it as much until after you've settled down. Yeah, I can see that. I have a, another thing. Um, Maccus calls him the devil here. Yeah. I think this is the first time he's referred to as a devil, right? He, I don't think he... He didn't call him the devil, did he? he well, he bested the devil. Yeah, but... He's I referring think that's a, to him as a devil, I think, right? No, I think no? he's referring to the Kraken and to just the phrase, bested the devil, the evil. Okay. That's that's what my thing is. Okay. But actually, that, that kind of rolls into another one of my list, a few of my favorite things list, when you mentioned that. The devil? Yeah. <laughs> Me and Beazelbub, just... <laughs> Mephistopheles. We're on uh, first name basis there. Wait. Lightning. No. Okay, I'm safe. 
Polifico's eyes, so this is one of my favorite things, they're out. And you see them in all their feather duster glory right there. And then they pop right back inside. It's crazy. It's cool. It's great detail. If you didn't see that, I look at his eyes. Their feather duster's out, and then they bloop, go right I, back in the tube. See, this is the problem watching it on the iPad. Huh? I don't see all the detail I need to see. I got to watch it on television. Were your eyes open? Yeah, but it's just small on the iPad, and okay. and I was watching it on a thing I can't just easily. De- As somebody I can't, that's supposed to be a professional analyzer and scrutinizer of the Pirates of the Caribbean I films, know, but you, we're, at the time, you know you we're having problems with our Blu-ray player, and I didn't want to deal with it, so I was just messing with the iPad, and it just didn't can't go slow mo on it. If you want the digital version, I have all you have to do is ask, and then you don't have to deal with it. But that's sausage making of how this is done. So <laughs> whatever you need to do. To see the detail, that's what you need to do. But number two on my list, and I already mentioned Davy Jones' tentacles when he sees his heart is missing. That's the one. I just love the tentacles start to squirm. Another one, Ian Mercer has this smug look on his face after giving the letters a mark to Beckett. But the great thing is, is that Norrington chimes in that he already filled in his name. And it kind of wa- like wipes that smug look off Mercer's face. And right? that's what I like. Yeah. Mercer thinks he has something good here. Yeah. But he doesn't have anything. And he gets bitch slapped, basically. And I think Mercer was even creepier than Beckett, wasn't he? Oh, he is, yeah. He's slimier than Beckett. Yeah, he is. Then uh, another one on my list, the sperm whale tooth on Beckett's desk. Actually, his entire office, it's like a gold mine of incredible detail. From leather-bound books to what looks like some crystal inkwells, ornate furniture. I think all that's just great. Now, we've gone through Beckett's office before, but this is other stuff in his office that you didn't see in the the, beginning of the movie. Possibly, yeah. I think in the beginning of the movie, we mentioned other stuff, not like a sperm tooth whale. No, you can't even say it. Sperm whale tooth and stuff like that. No, and there's I've gone down some giant rabbit holes that have taken way, way longer than I care to admit on the show, and I have really turned up nothing. So it's it's been... I've done it. I did it again. I remember doing it before. And then I had to catch myself because I was like, I'm just going to spend hours. Well, doing you were this. looking up chairs at one point in time. I yeah, seen. because that's the next one on my list is that there's two chairs that have these carved lions on them. And this kind of sets the move of somebody like Beckett having lion adorned chairs in his office for one thing. It's kind of like, maybe is that the, like the, the strength or something like that. The neighborhood the house with the lion and door exactly. lions out front. Yeah, the big old lion statues. Then the, there's the Norrington about to get his revenge. I like that part. Yeah. And I say this because after mentioning the idea of revenge is a dish best served cold, because he's tattered to hell. But then it's like he's on the winning side now. So things are starting to look up for him from what we can tell in this in these minutes. Like he's got a he's got an upper hand coming. Well, Norrington's not slimy like Beckett. No, I didn't say that. But I know, but he's he's just better than him altogether. That, okay. But I'm just saying, I like that part. It's yeah. on my list. The complete doom. Oh, doom. Because doom and gloom always come together usually. <laughs> but no, this is just the gloom. The gloom on the longboat with the Black Pearl crew as they watch the oh, ship being yeah. dragged underwater. It's another good part. And then, as you were mentioning, that's why it reminded me of my list, is that Maccus says that it turns out that not even Jack Sparrow can best the devil. And... I think this is a perfect follow-up to kind of the heroic Kraken action here. Because not only does this kind of double down on the idea that Jack is dead, that it kind of like, oh, yeah. he died, kind of sets that stage. But it really shows how Jack's reputation has preceded him. The trickster, as you were talking about, 
He always manages escape. That's yeah. what he does. Yeah. He's always getting out of things. Oh, except this time. Maybe not this time. Maybe. Maybe. So well, that, everybody seen the crack and swallow him, so. Well, that, I'm, exactly. So, there you go. But I think that's my list. That, that is my you list. You didn't mention anything about the music. I, this was my favorite stuff because I was really honing in on the detail, the visual details this time. Oh, so I not talked the about, music? I talked about music last time. The music is very sombering in this it whole two definitely minutes. Definitely it is. It starts with the Kraken, though. Yeah. Like we, yeah, because I, I mentioned it last time. The yeah. somber music. Yeah. Wait, and, and speaking of Beckett's office, though, did you notice that when the camera, like, first goes to the office, it cuts to him sitting at his desk? Yeah, he's just sitting there staring. Yeah, he's sitting, staring at the desk. It's like he's some kind of zombie deep it's in like, thought. like, what are you doing, dude? Or I thought maybe the switch hasn't been turned on yet, or he's, he's not, like, flipped on. He's like some kind of it's robot. so weird. It's almost like he's stewing in his juices. He's, yeah. he's like pouting. He's wishing he had the chest. He's thinking about it. That's all he can do is maybe, sit there and think maybe about the he's, chest. Maybe he's upset because he thinks that he didn't get anything out of that whole thing. I'm he sure that that's what it is. He didn't get the didn't get the chest, anything. Yeah, all of his, the best laid plans of Mice and Men. Yes. That is his comeuppance right there is that he didn't get nothing for all the work yeah. that he had other people do for him yeah but i would almost like to picture him like not having moved since we last saw him in the office and i think that was with elizabeth <laughs> I, I just want to imagine he's been sitting there since sitting elizabeth in the chair for like weeks <laughs> he hasn't moved for weeks he's like hibernating or maybe a torpor kind of situation no like physical activity no mental activity he's just there <laughs> That's what I, where he's just like steaming about this whole thing the whole time. <laughs> That's what I want to see. And then he's like, oh, he kind of snaps out of it when Mercer comes up and hands over the marks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's what I'd like. Then we, uh, since we're still kind of on the, the office stuff, we talked quite a bit about Penny Rose's amazing work with costumes last season, Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh-huh. Then we we like walked through Jack's outfit. We talked probably Elizabeth's dresses and yeah. all that kind of, all the other all costumes. All kinds of, yeah. But I'm not so sure we fully mentioned like set decorators and things like that. Maybe a little bit. In that Maybe one, we, some. there's a new one here for this one. Okay. Her name is Cheryl Karasik. 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 Who knows? Okay. Okay. And she's on Dead Man's Chest and at World's End. And we did give her a bit of a kind of a, you know, a yay, a props or whatever you want to call it back in the early minutes. Because she was nominated for, like, the British Academy of Film and Television Arts and Oscars and stuff like that. Actually, five Oscars over her career. One was with Rick Heinrichs for Best Art Direction. Then there's Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, Men in Black, The Birdcage, Little Princess, these kinds of things. Mm. But I was really hoping to find out more details on Cheryl. But in terms of exposure, she's kind of, like, left in the shadow of Rick Heinrichs. Oh, really? Yeah, she tends to work with him. And he's the actual production designer. And so she's just more the set decorator. So she kind of helps develop the vision that Heinrichs comes up with. You know, he's like the guy that visualizes, like, this is what we want the mood to be and all that. And then she, like, implements that yeah. plan. But I really wanted to find some more out. And I was, like, having a hell of a time, like, finding any information about her. And I thought, she's done some pretty big movies. I thought that there'd be some articles or something that's floating around in that massive thing called the internet. but. No. No, and then I got lost in lion chairs and weird crystal inkwells and trying to find stuff. Because I thought, you know, I wonder if they're really pulling some replicas and stuff like that that I could find. And let's not go into the wasted time that was. The black bones will sail. Years and 
But anyways, Rick Heinrichs here, he gets usually the top billing, and especially in regards to Pirates of the Caribbean. He was also uh, quoted, though, as saying, One of the things I like to do when I'm approaching a project that's offered to me and when I'm trying to figure out whether to do it or not is, for instance, if it's a period piece, is it something that I can bring something to? Or is the director trying to simply retell something historically and wanting absolute period accuracy? That doesn't particularly interest me. What I love about pirates in working with gore is the fact that the history and period are backdrops, something that gives us a sense of time and place. But everybody is excited to take that to the next level of stylization and reimagining. It's like taking the elements and shaking them up and then creating something different out of them. And I think that's what it's doing here. You have the period stuff, you have this really great office, and if you're not really looking at the detail, you may miss a lot of all of that stuff. Just like I said, from the whale tooth that's on the desk, and that kind of plays back into some historic period pieces of whaling that's happening at the time, the whale oil, all those kinds of things. But it's not kind of first and foremost. So it does such a great job of not standing out as, or bringing, not standing out in a bad way, I should say. It doesn't wreck the moment. But it's so well detailed it is pretty amazing and i think that's what also matches the detail that's on the crew of the flying dutchman in these minutes the the detail because of the close-upness it's like seeing all the little creatures that are on davy jones and and for instance like i said the feather duster eyes of polifico uh-huh that's the kind of craziness that the cgi stuff that that got into and, and the designers and the the crew who were able to pull that together for those characters that's what's amazing and it's not it's not like they sidelined other details because this office is so ornately decorated and i think that happens throughout the entire films yeah so that's the bummer for me though is seeing all that detail but then for me I really want to dive into it more and I'm just having a hell of a time finding it. And it's like, sure, I can see that there's books and what even looks like he's looking at or maybe it's placed in front of him because he's not really looking at it. It almost looks like this diagram of these, all these different ships. So it, and that's trying to make out what is on this thing. I should really look at it closer, but it looks like a bunch of different ships. And I'm thinking maybe from the East India trading company, that it maybe details all the different ships that are in the fleet or the, in the, the company yeah. and what's on it. But that was my glimpse of it. And then, like I said, there's all kinds of other things. There's globes, there's vases, there's paintings that look like naval battles that had taken place. And so it's really all this cool stuff that's set with some really big characters that, that come in there. And there's such a big difference of everything's so prim and proper with Beckett. And then you have Norrington who's coming in all tattered, but is delivering, or we're going to think, see, potentially delivering the goods um, for Beckett. As he says, he uh, has his name already on the letters of Mark. Yes. So that's all I got this week. That's it? That is it. Okay. So 
I guess that means it's time to say thanks for listening, Scallywags. You know, if you like the show, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook. We have our Facebook listeners group, and we have a Twitter account. But that's about all that happens there. So all the links are at theblackpearlshow.com. It is that freaking easy. And of course, we're delivering Pirates of the Caribbean info to the masses. As the dirty, freaking filthy bilge rats we are, we're analyzing, scrutinizing, and plundering. Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling. And in honor of everything that's going on, or in not in honor of, but recognizing all that's going on, keep the scurvy to a minimum. Don't forget, it's not so much the plague that you have to worry about. It's the people reacting to said apocalypse at this point. So there you go. It's time for some rum. See you next week. Arr, get me my rum. Yeah, I was waiting for that. It's about time that comes back. Listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilgerats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, maybe Heather. This is a Shoutreach Media Production.